0: welcome to the growing rural podcast where we focus on all things rural in south carolina we will discuss topics on healthcare, economy education and the unique culture that is our rural state this podcast is supported by the south carolina center for
1: rural and primary health care please join us for today's topic hello everyone welcome back to the growing rural podcast i'm your host dr kevin bennett our guest today is kathy schwarting She's the CEO of Palmetto Care Connections. Kathy, welcome.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Yeah,
1: sure thing. So tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and how you ended up doing what you're doing today.
0: So I grew up in a very small town in Dillon County called Lakeview, less than thousand people. Um, Went to college, went to grad school and have lived in Bamberg, South Carolina for probably 25 years. So rural Life is kind of what I know Mm -hmm. and what I love, and my background is in rural health care. And when our hospital in Bamberg, South Carolina, closed, which I worked there for about 16 years, doing a lot of physician recruiting, um, physician staff development, Um, when the hospital closed, and then shortly after that, our neighboring county of Barnwell, their hospital closed, I really telehealth was sort of just coming about and um, it was popular and I was learning a little bit more about it and I thought you know this could be a really great way to infuse services into our rural communities Mm -hmm. particularly where communities don't have a hospital um, they don't have any kind of specialty care sometimes small communities don't even have primary care providers so to me telehealth was a really good effective way to bring services to the patients Mm -hmm. and when your hospital closes it's a lot of folks don't understand this but it's very challenging for um an elderly person in a rural community to drive an hour and a half to go to the doctor so bringing services to them was important to me Mm -hmm. and pal medicare connections is all about connecting people so we started it actually 10 years ago
1: okay so you've, so this has been a 10-year battle of trying to make those connections, right?
0: It has. And I will tell you that when folks used to ask me, what do you do? And I'd tell them I run a telehealth network. So we are a nonprofit telehealth network. Mm-hmm. And we focus on all of the rural and underserved areas in South Carolina. But when folks would say, you know, what do you do? What is your job? And I'd talk about telehealth. For probably the first eight years, nobody really knew what that was. Right, right, And I would say, you know, if you talk into, it looks like a television screen, and people would be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, since COVID hit, mm-hmm. um, I don't have to worry about that anymore, because yeah. everybody knows what telehealth is. It's, you know, on the news. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in the paper. Mm-hmm. And so now folks understand what telehealth is, and that's very um, satisfying and rewarding to me. Right. Um, that people are understanding that there are other ways to do things and other ways to get adequate care Mm -hmm. and um, to me that's a huge success.
1: And it's been interesting I guess with the rise of smartphones and FaceTime and Zoom even before COVID that people were getting comfortable with this kind of technology using your phone to talk to people relatives that kind of thing was coming pretty common even grandparents are using it.
0: That's
1: right. Um, You know but I before COVID, there were still a lot of restrictions around telehealth, how it could be used, how it could be started, how it could be reimbursed, right? Mm -hmm.
0: So one of the biggest restrictions um, that we have been battling for a long time is Rural providers um, that are in a rural health clinic mm-hmm. or in a federally qualified health center, which you see those predominantly in most of the rural areas in our state, right. they could not provide telehealth to their patients and get reimbursed.
1: Right. So in other words, you could, they could have a patient in their room, but they couldn't connect to an outside provider.
0: Well, they could connect to an outside provider and receive the services in their location, but but connecting directly to their patients and getting reimbursed, they could not. Gotcha. And when COVID hit, we saw just an explosion of almost every clinic needing to provide services to their patients who Mm -hmm. could not come into the office or were fearful of coming into the office. Right. So what? what came about with the public health emergency with COVID is now those rural providers can actually provide services directly to their patients Mm -hmm. and get reimbursed. So there's a lot that we need to do to make sure that that stays in place. Mm -hmm. And before, we spent a lot of time educating rural providers about the benefits of telehealth. Some were open-minded, some were a little skeptical about Mm -hmm. it. But now that they've actually used it, and they see the benefit not only to their practice, but to their patients, mm-hmm. they don't want it to go away.
2: Right, you know, right.
0: that, that is a way for them. I had a rural provider in Bamberg that came to me a couple years ago, and she said, you know, Kathy, a lot of my patients, I see them from, you know, birth to adult age. And when they go off to college, I find that they are using telehealth to mm-hmm. connect to other larger Providers or health systems. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to continue to provide services to um, my patients that maybe you know move a couple hours away, and explain to me how I can do that with telehealth. So it's not only a way for them to continue to provide, but it's a way for them to thrive. You know, they rural providers have to become. Almost competitive nowadays mm-hmm. with larger providers mm-hmm. if they want to keep their patients right and, one and just of, stay open yes one right. of our focuses has always been to keep services local when you can and when it's appropriate right and telehealth also allows them to do that
1: and for primary care that's absolutely key having it local close by within a you know 15 minute drive for example is, is absolutely vital for continuity care and good quality of care
0: It is. And we do a lot of work with our um, larger health systems, and they do a phenomenal job. Um, MUSC, Prisma, McLeod, they were all providing um, telehealth services during Mm -hmm. COVID. Mm -hmm. But there's also a downside to that. If they come into a rural community and begin to provide services... those patients, Mm -hmm. are they going to leave their primary care provider and and move all of their services to that health system? And I don't even think health systems um, typically want that to occur, but it's just a transition and it's the way things are. And so we've spent a lot of time trying to help those providers remain viable Mm -hmm. Um, and part of that is making sure that they can hang on to their patients and grow their practices.
1: So. During all of this, you know, the, I mean, and it's still going on, we're, what is, what is today? It's February of 2021. Sometimes I have to look at the calendar and figure out what day it is and what month it is even. It's all mashed together because of COVID and distance learning. I'm curious if you've gotten any good feedback or impressions from, I guess, the patient side as well. What's their take on the services, acceptability? Um, are there certain groups that just are still not interested or not accessing it?
0: So um, that's a very interesting question because probably about mid-April after COVID, we had realized that COVID was actually here and people Mm -hmm. understood what was occurring. Um, We had had spent our prior 10 years focusing on educating providers, Mm -hmm. never really thought about focusing on the patient or the consumer. But we had patients reaching out to us saying, you know, I remember the first patient that ever reached out, um, their, her husband would go in weekly for infusion services um, through physical therapy. And she called and said, I don't think my provider told me that I cannot do this through telehealth because they can't get reimbursed for the service. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. They've closed the office. My husband is in significant pain. How do I do this? And how, as a patient, do I advocate to make sure that all of these services are, are covered and reimbursed for telehealth? And so that really opened up our eyes and we've started and that was just the first of many patients and they come to us and they say what can we do to help and i'm like tell your story you know call your legislator call your health care provider tell them that you're not comfortable coming into the office let them know that you've got to have these services so my eyes were opened and we have since then started doing a lot more around consumer education we're actually putting a consumer education page on our website mm-hmm. so that we can you – know, explaining reimbursement to a provider or a billing department is one thing. Right. But explaining it to a patient is completely different. Right. So we're trying to put that information out there so that they understand – what is being reimbursed, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, how it is being reimbursed, Mm -hmm. and if their services that they need are not being allowed and not provided via telehealth, how can they assist um, with that process? Right,
1: and being that voice to raise the issue.
0: We actually um, are trying to push for equitable payment Mm -hmm. um, this year in the legislature. And so ETV is has been a great partner um, with growing and expanding telehealth for the last several years. Mm-hmm. And so we had ETV create a video for us, and it it's completely about patient stories mm-hmm. and what telehealth has done for them. And it is so powerful and mm-hmm. impactful. The first time I watched it, I mean, literally the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and right. I was almost cried, thinking... You know, one individual was like, telehealth gave me back my life. Right. You know, I can live now. And right. so to hear those stories, and I think it's important that we do listen to the patients mm-hmm. and make sure that what we're providing to them is impactful and does make a difference in their life. Right. Um, and so I just think that we need to do a little bit more of listening to the patient.
1: Yeah, and I think you hit on this too about that trade-off or balance between in-person and virtual. And I think some people hear telehealth and they think, oh, this is going to replace my doctor. I don't need a doctor anymore. Or you're going to take my doctor away. When in reality, I think it could be a very good supplemental type of service. You go to your doctor in person for certain things and then you can use tele for check-ins or semi-urgent non-ED urgent type questions or those kinds of things do you think that is a growing concern
0: i completely agree with you and i've had conversations with individuals and they're like you know telehealth can never replace an in-person visit and i totally agree with that Mm -hmm. 100 percent. but it is a tool Mm -hmm. it it is a resource that we can use and we have always said that telehealth will complement health care not replace it or take you know um, do away with in-person so there are lots of things that can be done very easily with telehealth mm-hmm. and then there are some things that you absolutely still need to come into your provider's office to be seen for right. however if you've had surgery and you you know you live in Bamberg and you drove down to Charleston for the surgery, and you have to have so many follow up visits, mm-hmm. and that visit might last five minutes for them to take right. a look at your Just at your you know the sutures, the sure healing properly. Right. Yeah. That's very easy for somebody to with the the technology that is available now is amazing. I mm-hmm. mean, if you take a, a peripheral a, an exam cam for the body and look at it. It is a better image than you can see with the naked eye. And so does that person still really need to, one, drive an hour and a half, take off work, find somebody to take them? It is horrendous to try to find parking in Mm -hmm. any of these larger cities or health systems. Mm -hmm. People get a little flustered. Um, They get there. If it's taken longer to park, they're late for their appointment. They may end up having to cancel it. That's just very stressful for people, particularly older citizens right, right so if that follow-up can be done very easily with a telehealth visit mm-hmm. why not do that and make it easier for the patient right as long as we make sure that the provider can get paid for that visit
1: right because you're still there there's still time and there's all that and then the equipment and all of those kinds of things That's that right. need to be reimbursed for but i could imagine where we could come up with payment models that would recognize that and i could see yes. where that could even theoretically be cheaper in a lot of ways for the payers themselves right
0: well that's true and some of the payers think that it will cost a provider less to provide a telehealth visit
2: mm-hmm. um
0: and that's not necessarily accurate because what's happening is um broadband is a huge challenge in our rural areas now not right. just for healthcare care but for um school-based for right. virtual learning for working from home mm-hmm for agriculture, Mm -hmm. and we interviewed three um, rural CEOs. Two were from federally qualified health centers, and one was from um, a rural hospital down in Hampton, Hampton Regional, actually. And what those CEOs told us is it actually sometimes takes us a little bit longer right now to do a telehealth visit because, one... People don't understand we're having to teach some of our patients how to use the technology. Right. Right. How to position your phone, Mm -hmm. how to turn up the volume on your phone. Mm -hmm. We're having to actually help patients remember their passwords. Right. Okay. Right explaining to them how you remember your password how you create a password how you save your password so you can go find it mm-hmm. so sometimes it actually takes our staff a little bit longer mm-hmm. and i know that's not necessarily a burden that the payers should take on but if you're still receiving the same quality service
1: be then in the my same. eyes
0: it should be the same amount of reimbursement
1: right right and you know i could see you know putting on my health policy hat uh, argument being made for Maybe they should pay a little bit more for that because of those issues, Uh, especially if we can do um, studies and look at a return on investment on it. I would imagine certain services would actually reduce funding or expenses for the payer, reducing ED visits, for example, or reducing, you know, long term problems that they caught earlier because they were able to do telehealth. I could see where investing up the front end would pay dividends on the back end.
0: Well, it, I had an interesting conversation with one of our large payers in the state, with one of the medical directors, and who I thought was probably a little bit more opposed to telehealth mm-hmm. um, than than I was hoping, and I was actually surprisingly wrong about that because what he was finding is. That because providers were sometimes trying to probably overcompensate with a telehealth visit hmm. to make their patient more comfortable with it mm-hmm. and to ensure the patient that they were still getting the same time, dedication, and focus, he was actually seeing that providers were spending a little bit more time with their patients during a telehealth visit. Mm-hmm and um, actually asking them more questions and becoming a little bit more familiar with maybe some of the other challenges. Um, and we call those you know social determinants of health sometimes. Right. Right. But listening to those stories through telehealth, just as a means initially to make the patient feel comfortable.
2: Mm-hmm. But then
0: the provider is realizing that they're actually learning more right. um, by doing this via video. There are really very few distractions you know, hmm. versus in a room when somebody's hmm. coming walking in the door or, right, right. you know, you start showing them something on a, on the chart on the wall. Right. And I was really surprised. And so I think that our payers have been great partners during COVID, mm-hmm. all of them, right. um, Medicaid and the private payers, as well as Medicare, of course. And I think they have really done a great job opening up telehealth. And I right. think they have actually learned things. Um, that they didn't know a year ago, right. and we've all learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when it's time to, to step back up after the public health emergency, I have faith that our payers will do that.
1: Yeah, and I know there's a lot of push for that at the policy level to keep these changes intact and keep there it There is,
0: and the South Carolina Telehealth Alliance, which is a um, statewide telehealth effort that the legislature funded several years ago, PCC partners with them very closely, and I actually am the co-chair of that alliance with Dr. Jimmy McElligot, who is a pediatrician at MUSC. Mm -hmm. But PCC and the South Carolina Telehealth Alliance are pushing for some um, equal telehealth payment legislation this year. You know, folks don't like the word parity because it has a negative connotation, so Mm Um, equal payment is something that we like to use. Um, and we have a lot of support in the state right now. And mm-hmm. folks realize that we've come such a long way. I, I did a, a webinar the other day and learned that in this last year, in 2020, our telehealth usage in South Carolina has increased by 500%. Right. And we are close to having provided almost 2 million telehealth Visits in South Carolina. That's Mm -hmm. tremendous. Yeah, I mean, to to grow that much in a year is amazing. And honestly, if you think about it, what are we going to do? We're going to take patients back to where they were before COVID and take providers back. We can't do that. I mean, you can't go back that far in time Mm -hmm. and 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 as much progress as you've made and imagine what we're going to do to the patients. First of all, we try to get them to use it. Then they use it, they like it, they understand it, they're not fearful of it, right. and we're going to say, oh, by the way, your provider can't get paid anymore, so, so you, in, you, yeah. now you got to come back in again. Right. I mean, as a state, we need to look at that, and we need to make sure that our policy mm-hmm. is beneficial for our patients. And I think if you, I've always believed if you put the patient first, then what you're doing. Um, it's the right thing to do,
1: right? And we just have to align our payment policies to that's align exactly with right. that. And you know, I've seen that 500 percent number frequently, um, and I've actually seen other data that, not surprisingly, that has start the increase has started to tail off as things are starting to go back in person and appropriately. People going back to the doctor, but there's still a much higher level of use, and I think that's going to be the new baseline. Um, one thing we've heard is a lot of that use now is focused more on mental and behavioral health. Um, I don't know if you've seen that trend. And what have I have,
0: you've and um, we, I listened to a, a presentation yesterday, um, but mental health has, in South Carolina, when we implemented the, the Telemedicine Act, we really made it for physicians and mid-level providers, such as nurse practitioners and physician assistants, To get reimbursed for telehealth visits Mm -hmm. but we at the time did not open it up to other providers and i think that's another thing that that covid has brought about and our um congress did a great job of of allowing medicare to loosen their regulations but Mm -hmm. not only for providers um to get paid for telehealth visits but other types of providers to get paid and that's another piece of this legislation that we're pushing for if we could allow until you really allow counselors Mm -hmm. and psychologists um, to get paid for doing a telemental visit we're not really going to have an impact using telehealth right and when covid hit i cannot tell you how many accounts we set up for the alcohol and substance abuse providers right Um, And they just grew tremendously Mm -hmm. with the telehealth that they were doing. Mm -hmm. And they also now can connect patients to peer support counselors, right? Right. I mean, to be able to talk to somebody who's been in your shoes is amazing. Mm -hmm. But until we allow that provider to get paid for that telehealth visit – they're not going to be able to afford to do it. Right, so, it's not sustainable. I, yeah, I think mental health has now proven itself. There mm-hmm. are um, studies out there that have shown how telehealth can impact um, mental health patients. And so I think it is incumbent upon us that we, again, do not go back to where we were mm-hmm. and that mental health and behavioral health is just a, a the perfect opportunity to use telehealth for.
1: Right, that, that's an excellent point, and I know in our state, and I think every state in the union probably, there is a mental health workforce shortage area. Um, there's lack of resources, lack of facilities, lack of providers, and this is a perfect way to expand that into, especially our rural areas, uh, so they don't have to drive an hour to find a psychologist or a clinical social worker or whatever they need to meet their needs, right?
0: That's very true, and I think, um I love to tell this story because prior to COVID, I had a friend that needed um, some mental health counseling. And I was encouraging her to go into our local rural health clinic um, at Bamberg Family Practice because MUSC provides mental health services in her clinic. So I was encouraging this patient to use that service. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm not very comfortable with that. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, if I'm talking to the person on the screen, they can probably hear me outside the door. And I said, you know, just yeah. stop a second and listen to what you just said. If if they can actually hear you talking to your provider through the screen and the technology, don't you think they can hear you talking to your provider one-on-one? Mm-hmm. I mean, you you." you you have the same risk and right. if your provider has you know it's confidential in that room it's also going to be confidential with a video consult right and she was like you know i never thought about it that way right and so she actually did the visit and was pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. and that's just a great way that you do not need to drive you're not going to find a psychiatrist or a psychologist. In Allendale, or in McCormick, or in Lakeview, or Bamberg, and you're always going to have to drive. And what happens is those patients just don't get the care, and that's really sad because so many people live with, you know, there are lot, there's severe conditions, but there's also depression, Mm -hmm. and especially during COVID, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of our students, a lot Mm -hmm. of our people, you know, I'm an outgoing person. And I'm so ready to fly, and I hated <laughs> flying before COVID. But just to I, get know, out there. Right? I'm ready to get out and, right. and talk to people because that's what I love to do. But being isolated, um, going through depression, mm-hmm. not being able to get an hour and a half to a mental health provider. Telehealth right. is a perfect opportunity right. for mental health. But again, we've got to make it so those providers can get reimbursed right the technology is not an issue anymore technology right. prices have come down right you can actually now we actually put out pc based carts with mm-hmm. the peripherals they are very inexpensive they're very around, cheap or... a lot cheaper to maintain right so that's not the issue right the payment making the services available mm-hmm. and educating now the consumers along with the patients i think is paramount
1: right and i think even further than that is enabling patients to do these services from the comfort of their own home
0: absolutely getting that
1: that payment process in place and then you don't even have to leave your house and you don't have to worry about privacy or people seeing you as a is a concern especially when you're seeking mental health there's still a stigma around seeking those services there's no question about it anymore if you're still in your house in your pajamas.
0: That's very true. And that's another piece of our um, equitable telehealth legislation that we're trying to push is, Mm -hmm. not to get too technical, but the term originating site um, Mm -hmm. has been linked to telehealth reimbursement. And what that means is that prior to covid A patient had to be located in what was considered an eligible originating site location, which meant you could be at a doctor's office, Mm -hmm. you could be at a hospital, but you could not be at home. And so this legislation, and I think it's very, you bring up a great point, it is paramount that we eliminate that originating site requirement. That's the only way that Providers are going to be able to get paid to treat their patients mm-hmm. or provide the service with the patient being in the home. Right. And that is um, a whole nother reason why Medicare Connections got into – broadband advocacy work is in order to do visits at home Mm -hmm. you got to have connectivity right I mean whether it's on your phone and you need good cell coverage or whether it you're using a laptop and you have to have you know good internet speed in your house right I mean that's a whole nother topic Um, but it's an interesting topic I didn't mean to go into broadband sorry
1: no that's 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 a perfect segue because that's that's the other side of this coin there's all these policies and originating sites and all these other jargon things that are extremely important but if you live in a rural area that only has dial-up or dsl video calling is just not accessible to you right
0: it is and i'll tell you when we moved home in march for covid our office actually moved home and i live in town in Bamberg. And my son came home from college, so I was working from home and my son was doing virtual classes mm-hmm. and I did not have um, enough internet to support both of us being on a computer at the same time. Right. So what actually happened is a couple of times he could not do his school work or either I had to X out of a meeting, it just didn't right. work. Right. And And that's me working in broadband and, you know, and so I had to do research and I luckily I found another internet service provider that could give me um, better service because Mm -hmm. what I had with one of the ISPs, they could not increase it. That was all that, was the that limit. I had available to myself. Right, right. And luckily, I was able to get a better service. So now we can both do things from home. Yeah. But when we looked at virtual learning, and my husband is a teacher at an elementary school in Bamberg. And when um, they went home for the kids to do virtual learning, they estimated that 70% of the kids in our school district do not have internet access right so you know again that that's a, a a issue with rural you why should those kids suffer right i mean it the lack of broadband significantly increases the gap between what i call the haves and the have-nots mm-hmm. i mean just because your family lives in allendale or you know you live in barnwell that should not mean that you do not have the same educational opportunities that a person in Greenville has. And unfortunately, that is what we have. I mean, poor connectivity, those kids... They, our school district was actually making copies and putting packets together, mm-hmm. delivering them to the students for a mm-hmm. two-week period of time, collecting them again and mm-hmm. having to give out another packet because the because kids, so connect. many of them didn't have Internet. Right. And, you know, that shouldn't be acceptable to us. We, we should – I can't go to sleep at night and sleep – well thinking of all the people who can't go online to apply for a job right you can't go do that in person anymore right so if you can't go online to apply you just you're out of a job right Um, They can't work from home. They can't do the school from home. The farmers can't run their equipment well. And farming is a huge piece of South Carolina and rural America.
1: And all of those are connected to the Internet now. So
0: now everything you've got to have um, connectivity for. And we've been very fortunate that our legislature um, has been supportive of expanding broadband and our congressional members And Congressman Clyburn, you know, Senator Lindsey Graham, Senator Tim Scott, they have all been advocates and introduced language around broadband. So I think one of the things that you saw is finally people are realizing that we've got to do better for our rural areas. They deserve better than this. And if you can get – Congressman Clyburn talks about this all the time, but if you can – if we can expand it so that every household has electricity – We can do the same for broadband. We just all have to quit fighting each other and working together.
1: Yeah, and I've heard people talk about treating internet as a utility instead of a commodity. And I think that kind of mindset switch would be very useful. Instead of it something being that it's a competitive marketplace, let's band together and actually get this to where it needs to be so we can eliminate some more of these disparities, right?
0: It is, most people have always thought of it as a luxury item. And it's not an essential tool that you have to have, like, water, and sewer, and electricity, right. and food, and health care. But now, in order to be able to get those essentials, you got to have yeah,
2: it's become, internet access. It's it has become, become very central.
0: Yes, it has become an essential, and so, living in Bamberg, I did a lot over the years around economic development, and one of the best things that we can do for our rural industries is to bring businesses and industry to our area. Mm-hmm. That helps with your tax base, that, mm-hmm. you know, they get involved in their local community on education programs, and they, these these small businesses and industries do a lot, but if you do not have internet access for your managers and your employees to be able to dial in from home, right. I have lived literally seen businesses that decided not to come to our area because our connectivity was so right pathetic and it's just not quite honestly and that's not we can't grow and these rural communities cannot thrive um nowadays without internet
1: yeah and that's an interesting point of you know we're like i said we're in february of 21 we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, I think, of COVID. You know, vaccines are coming out. Um, Numbers seem to be creeping down. You know, knock on wood, things keep going. And we get past this and, you know, some people are saying summer, fall will be out of the woods, so to speak. You know, but what's next for rural? I mean, I, you know, how do we recover from this? How do we rebuild? I think a lot of evidence is that rural was hit harder in a lot of ways with this, with employment losses. And, um, you know, I have a fear of physician offices closing because of this and not recovering. But I think broadband is a key part of that. We can't really recover unless we have that as a key infrastructure point. So how do we how do we advocate for that? How do we improve that so that we can recover and get back to where we need to be?
0: So I think the two things that we've spoken of mostly this morning, the telehealth and the broadband mm-hmm. are key to helping our businesses, you know, each each rural community has its own plan for economic development and probably works with an economic development consortium or um, collaborative and if we if our local folks speak up and we word of mouth is powerful in a rural community and um, when our citizens speak up and demand to no longer be left behind i think that is a key to it and we're going to have to engage and encourage local leaders and local champions to speak up for their communities. And, you know, I'm a, I am a—I have been an advocate for a long time for real communities. But would you rather have me speaking as an advocate for Varnville, South Carolina, or would you rather have a local champion in Varnville who knows that community speaking right. up? Right. So I think as citizens, we have to step up. Mm-hmm. I think we have to demand that, you know, a lot of money, even at the beginning of COVID, was put into expanding broadband. And our legislature and our governor um, did a great job and put money into broadband infrastructure. And they gave out grants to internet service providers to expand the internet. Okay. That's great. However, they also need to be required to have low-income packages that people can actually afford because you have two issues you have an access issue where you just physically don't have internet and and there's no internet service provider that um, is going to bring it to you Mm -hmm. but you also have the adoption issue Mm -hmm. and so you may actually have internet in your community but if it's not an affordable package you know if it's 75 for 80 dollars a lot, we can't expect a low-income household who's struggling to pay their bills to pay $75. Right. But at the same time, we have to educate these households about how valuable it is for them to have Internet. So we've right. got to do two things. Right. We've got to educate them that it is a necessity and they have to have it. Yeah. But then we've got to make it affordable and accessible. One of the things that Medicare Connections does is we lead south carolina's broadband consortium mm-hmm. and we help um, providers across the state it was um, created for rural providers however urban providers can also participate because a lot of those rural providers are connected but the Healthcare connect fund which is an fcc um, program mm-hmm. subsidizes broadband cost for providers mm-hmm. so if you have a local rural health clinic And they went from, we actually had this happen, they went from a $75 DSL connection, and they were trying to um, do um, virtual radiology and send off exams, and they couldn't. And you go to a $500 or $600 a month internet bill, that's not affordable for them. But if you can get them 65% savings from that program, um, just... A couple months ago, um, for the 2019 filings, the monies that PCC filed for on behalf of the healthcare providers in our state saves our providers $17 million mm. over a three year period of time. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. So, what we did see during COVID was quite frankly, our providers were well equipped to expand their telehealth services. They had the broadband to do that. Mm -hmm. There is also, there are four FCC programs. One of them is the Lifeline program, Mm -hmm. and that provides subsidies to low-income households. And if you heard Christian Sora yesterday speaking to um, the healthcare subcommittee, he spoke a little bit about these numbers. Mm -hmm. We have about 130,000 individuals in South Carolina, that take advantage of that program, but that's only about 20% of who's eligible. So the rest of the households who are eligible, we have to figure out, do they not know about the program? Right, right. Um, it is a service that your ISP or your internet service provider has to apply for on behalf of the patient or the mm. house, behalf of the household. Right, the resident. Is it because that ISP doesn't want to do that?
2: So we're
0: actually trying to um, work with the Department of Health and Human Services and um, for, do a report for our legislature on why are our citizens not accessing these subsidies that if you can get, it's only, it's $10, but we've got some service providers that have packages for $14.95 a month. So if your household is getting a $10 subsidy mm-hmm. and it's only costing you $5, you mm-hmm. can now afford it, right? Yeah. So we've got to find out why they're not utilizing that program are the internet service providers willing to file for that on their behalf? So right. there's a lot of education right. um, and a lot of studying that we need to do around that. But there are programs that we need to take more advantage of than we do. And it's like I tell everybody if our state is not taking advantage of it, the dollars are going somewhere.
1: Right. So right. Let's, let's I mean, get what we I know get.
0: everybody in the country. They're having the same issues but in South Carolina if a program is available to our citizens and our providers why not utilize it I mean absolutely it's there it's for it's for that exact purpose right
1: yeah so use it for our benefit
0: right yes absolutely so I guess there's just one other thing I'd like to say about um, our rural communities in South Carolina over the years I think lots of folks when they hear the word rural they automatically have a negative impression mm-hmm. about rural, and they the the terms poor right. or you know behind mm-hmm. um, come to mind when you think about rural. And folks really don't understand that the majority of our state is rural, and th- there has to be a reason why individuals choose to live in a rural community. And um, when my husband and I got married, I was from Lakeview. He was from Bamberg. And it was just an unspoken um, policy Mm -hmm. (laughs) between the two of us that we knew we wanted our kids to grow up the way that we grew up. And I know that times are changing and things sure. are not like they were 25 years ago, sure. but rural areas are really great places to raise a family. Right. I mean, there's right. there are a lot of positives to rural. Right. You know your neighbor. Right. You see your physician in the grocery store, right? Mm-hmm. You know your postmaster. Mm-hmm. So if, if there's an issue with, with something coming in the mail, he's just probably going to send you a text or give you a quick call. Yeah. I mean, they you're... They look out for each other in these communities. Mm -hmm. And you really spend a lot of time outdoors Mm -hmm. in a lot of rural communities. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a lot of natural habitat. Um, You have larger yards, so your kids get a little bit more physical time. Um, My brother and sister live in a beautiful little subdivision in um, Mount Pleasant, Mm -hmm. and they absolutely love it, but they absolutely have no yard. I right, mean, right. so my nephews love to come to my house and they ride the tractor and they ride the lawnmower right. and they get outside and they're around. kids, you know, kids yeah. again. And yeah. so there's a lot of recreation. There's just a lot of beauty right. to rural. And I, right. I hope that people see that there. Just because we're in a rural community, we still have really good, high quality Healthcare providers sure i mean our nurses are just as great as a nurse in a larger community and our physicians are just as great and they're just as competent Mm -hmm. and so i would want people to understand that living and working in a rural area doesn't have to to be doesn't have to leave a bad taste in your mouth it actually gives you a very good high quality of life and i am excited that my boys grew up in a rural community and that you understand what the term community is mm-hmm. all about right. you, you it's they've said for years it takes a village to raise a child and that's almost like what a small town is exactly. it's a village and you're raising each other and you're looking out for each other and when your neighbor is sick you take them a casserole right i mean you make sure that you know they have what they need so anyway just wanted to leave that positive note on Rural.
1: Yeah, and that and that's wonderful because I always at the end of these episodes I try to ask the guest what they love about rural, what's great about rural, and I I think you just encapsulated all of it in that one statement. That was wonderful, and I you know, and coming out of COVID, I have a ray of hope that possibly we can get back to some of this rural. I think people have learned that you know remote work is possible. I know a lot of people leave rural to get employment.
0: Uh, that's right, and, and
1: um, now they can hopefully live in rural, but work in the city, so to speak, and That's right. get right, the best yeah. of both worlds.
0: The people that choose rural choose it as a lifestyle right. and a quality of life. And my father-in-law drove over an hour every day for 20-plus years to mm-hmm. work, but he wanted to continue to live in that small town. Right. And people in small towns have done that for a lifetime. Right. But now you're right with the expansion of broadband and the change in an employer's mindset right okay yeah you know she can actually work from home she she's productive yeah um she's not goofing off she can get her work done and i think with that mindset and what we've learned COVID was a has been a a nightmare and it brought chaos and uncertainty but there are so many good things that came out of COVID. if we can just see that. Telehealth right. expanded. Right. Broadband came to the forefront. Right. Folks had more time to spend with their kids because right. they they weren't so busy going out with their friends or going out to dinner. They were cooking meals at home right. Right. and eating around the table again, which is where I think we've gotten so far off track from. Mm-hmm. And so I think COVID brought back a lot of those... Um, things that we need to prioritize on and it helped us to understand what we need to provide for our citizens in our state to make sure they can live a quality of life and i have always said and i I say it i'll probably say it to the day i die but your zip code should not define the quality of life that you live and it should not mean that you are going to die of a stroke if a person in Greenville is not going to die of the same stroke. Right. You should have same quality health care. You should same have access. the same quality health care opportunities and job opportunities and education opportunities. Right. And I think it is incumbent upon all of us— And PCC is willing to collaborate with any partner to help us make sure that those are available to our rural citizens.
1: Finally, what we always try to do is ask our guests. Um, You know, we talked a lot about rural, um, but I want to hear from you, Kathy, what, how would you define rural? Someone who's from the big city, you know, they grew up in New York City their whole life. How would you tell them what rural South Carolina is? How would you define that?
0: Rural South Carolina is a little slower pace. I would say Mm -hmm. you um, you go to Charleston and you get caught in the traffic and you absolutely know that between the hours of four and five you cannot drive anywhere right right right. or you leave your job and instead of going taking ten minutes to get home it takes you an hour and a half right Right, yeah so in Lakeview South Carolina we have no red lights we have (laughs) no traffic jams whatsoever in Bamberg we have one red light and. Um, you know, we've had maybe a couple of traffic jams when folks were driving to Bamberg to see an eclipse and the mm-hmm. cars were lined up. But typically it's, it's, it's a little less stressful um, mm-hmm. just because of the, the traffic, the road rage, um, the, you know, Restaurants, waiting an hour to get into a restaurant. Right. In a rural area, you're just um, content going and picking it up and going home and eating with your family. Right. You do a lot of outdoors activities. Um, hunting, fishing is a big thing in rural areas. Um, rivers, mm-hmm. you know, ride floating down the river, looking at nature, spending mm-hmm. time with yourself and your thoughts and your family. Without The cell phones have been great, but they have brought a lot more stress into our lives because Mm -hmm. you can never get away from work or you can never get away from somebody trying to to hunt you down. And when you can go out in nature and spend time and leave the cell phone in the car and you hear the birds and Mm -hmm. you hear the squirrels Mm -hmm. and you remember that God created all of this for all of us. You know, it's just a little bit more peaceful and a little bit more relaxing.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a wonderful encapsulation.
0: Yeah.
1: So thank you, Kathy, so much for this conversation. It's been very informative and helpful, and hopefully our listeners have learned a lot as well.
0: Well, thank you very much. And to put a little plug in for Medicare Connections, if there's anything we can help you with with broadband, we've actually been helping consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, And telehealth, if your clinic needs some telehealth technology, um, Palmedicare Connections is available. You can visit our website. Um, The South Carolina Telehealth Alliance is another great resource um, Mm -hmm. for telehealth. So reach out. Ask us questions. Ask us for help. That's what we're here for.
1: Yeah, so we'll put links to all that information in our show notes so listeners can go check that out and find you that way. Stay tuned for more episodes coming out soon. And if you've liked what you've heard, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. Five stars only, please. Uh, And if you have ideas for guests you'd like for us to hear on the program, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And that's all for today.
0: Thanks for listening to the Growing Rural Podcast. If you found the content valuable, please leave a rating on iTunes or Spotify so others can find us. For more information, please visit our website at sc.edu
2: forward slash rural health or follow us on Twitter at SC underscore CRPH. This was recorded at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine in Columbia. It is edited and produced by Sean Riffle. Y'all take care.